to college uh, last year. Uh, that was a very bittersweet time for us. Uh, we were so proud of her that she was going to get to go to college, uh, and that was really an exciting time for, uh, for her and for us. But we knew that we were going to miss her uh, so much. And uh, when we went down there, we delivered her stuff, and we could have easily have just brought all her stuff uh, up to her room and been gone well before noon. But none of us was really uh, quite ready for goodbye yet. And so uh, we engaged in some time killing. Uh, we went to lunch, and then we went to the bookstore, and then we went to Walmart and bought some decorations for her room. And, uh, then got her some snacks for her room and visited the bookstore and you do all the things that you're doing when you don't want to say goodbye to somebody but eventually uh, late afternoon came uh, and there was nothing left to do and it was time to, to say our goodbyes and so uh, I, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to hold it together so, and I'd been dreading it the whole day because I knew that this was coming and so uh, I just put my arms around her and gave her a big hug and I started crying uh, like a sappy old man which is how I feel about my girl and I just gave her a big hug and, and I told her I loved her and I was so proud of her. And then I tried to reinforce the things that I had been telling her all summer. Uh, like you tell your own kids, right? Beware of strangers, uh, first of all. But uh, so many things that you have to be concerned about in college. Uh, remember your faith. Uh, make good decisions. Uh, when you're in somebody else's house, always be able to see the door. Uh, never let your drink out of your own sight. Uh, all these things that you have to, you have to know, right? Uh, know where the door is at all times and always have an exit strategy. Don't allow yourself to be in a position where somebody else can hurt you. Uh, and that was the last, those are the last things I said to her. And often the last things that we say to somebody are the most important, right? We want them to remember those things because those are the things that uh, have much importance in their own lives. And uh, so as I was thinking about that, I was, the, the, the message this week reminded me of that because Paul was saying farewell to Ephesus and he was saying farewell to the Ephesian elders and there was much that he wanted them to know and the things that he told them last uh, were the things that were most important to him and the things that were most important for them that they needed to know. Uh, and so the last things he said to them were to remind them of his past service and then to uh, inform them that he had a future mission to carry out uh, in Jerusalem, and he was going to fearlessly go and do that. And then also to tell them about the storm clouds that were gathering in Ephesus and that they needed to be prepared for this present time in their lives when they were going to face troubles of their own uh, in Ephesus. Uh, so let's first look at uh, the past, and this is Paul uh, recapping his ministry uh, in verse 17, it says that Paul, uh, in Miletus, sent to, the, uh, to Ephesus and asked the church elders uh, to come back to him at Miletus uh, so that he could give them a message. Remember from last week that he was uh, here in, he was in Ephesus, then he traveled around to Troas, Macedonia, back to Corinth, and then all the way back around again and landed right here in Miletus, which is about 30 miles south of Ephesus. And so this whole message takes place to these Ephesian elders uh, in Miletus. And it probably took a few days uh, for uh, Paul to send a messenger up to Ephesus, uh, the 30 miles to walk there, and then a couple days to walk back. So maybe he had two, three, four days to wait for these Ephesian elders to arrive there. Uh, and in that amount of time, he had decided what he wanted to say to them. Uh, and so when they arrived, he reminded them about his past ministry that he had done in Ephesus, and says that uh, he was with them in Asia. And we know from last week, Paul said he was with the, them in Asia for three years, and Ephesus was a part of Asia. 
uh, Paul says, I was with you the whole time uh, and I was serving you uh, with humility and tears and trials. Now, we know Paul well enough to know he didn't do anything halfway, right? When Paul did something, it was pedal to the metal, uh, guns blazing. He gave all, uh, all the time whenever he did something. He was completely committed to this mission that Jesus gave him, and, and he served uh, with humility. And that means that he put others before himself. He was constantly doing that, uh, even when inconvenient, especially when inconvenient or painful to him. Uh, he also uh, served them with tears because he loved his people, and it pained him to know that some people didn't believe or others were so immature that they were fighting over which disciple they were going to follow, whether it be Paul or Apollos or someone else. And he was also grieved by the fact that false teachers were arising from among their midst. So all of this caused him great tears. But more than anything, Paul served them in his trials. You remember that God told Ananias in Acts chapter 9, I will show this man, Paul, how much he must suffer for my name. And boy, did Paul ever suffer uh, Acts chapter 9, he's converted, but uh, no sooner is he converted than they try to kill him in Damascus, and he's got to be lowered out of a window uh, to escape. Uh, in Acts chapter 13, he was run out of Pisidian Antioch. In Acts chapter 14, run out of uh, Iconium. Uh, Acts chapter 17, he's run out of Thessalonica, Thessalonica and Berea. Uh, Acts chapter 18, uh, he was accused by the Jews in Corinth. Acts chapter 19, uh, they sought his life in Ephesus during that riot uh, that Demetrius started in Acts chapter 20, as he wanted to get on board that ship to go to Jerusalem for the Passover, he uncovered a plot that they wanted to kill him on the boat. Uh, so Paul was no stranger uh, to troubles. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 11, he talks uh, repeatedly about the, the beatings that he suffered, the danger that he was in, the shipwrecks that he had undergone, all of these things, all of these trials, uh, Paul endured for Christ. Paul knew about trials, and for Paul, the, the worst was still yet to come. But Paul served God in those trials, and he served his congregation in those trials. And so uh, Paul teaches us that you can't be a good pastor or a good minister unless you love people enough to, to suffer with them and to suffer for them. And Paul certainly showed his people that he loved them and he served them. So Paul had a ministry of service but he also had a ministry of teaching. Uh, he taught sound doctrine. You know, a sound doctrine without service is like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He said, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge so as to move mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. So we have to serve people and we have to show people that we love them and all that we do. Uh, but uh, we also have to teach good and sound doctrine. Uh, we have to have that because if we don't, then no one is saved and no one is discipled. And, and so that is kind of the danger that we see in this social gospel message that is prevailing uh, today. Uh, we have uh, this idea that helping the poor is the gospel. Well, helping the poor is good and admirable, and we should do that. But helping the poor is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and rose from the dead. And so we need to get to that message. And so when we are doing social justice, when we're helping the poor, we're using that as the, a means to an end, and the end is sharing the gospel. Uh, helping the poor is not the end in and of itself. We have to get to the point where we are sharing the gospel with them, or else we are just doing service, and we're not teaching anything and helping these people 
get saved. So then in verses 20 to 21, Paul declared that he did not shrink back from teaching anything that was profitable. And and most important of these things that are profitable, of course, are repentance and faith. Uh, Repentance is the Greek word metanoia, which means to change your mind. And Paul wanted them to change their mind from this belief that they had from salvation uh, gained by obedience to uh, works of the law and circumcision. Change their mind from that and to faith uh, by which you are saved. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of the gospel uh, which saves. And so uh, Acts uh, 19 tells us that Paul went about teaching that message publicly. Remember, he was teaching in the house of Tyrannus. He did that for a period of two years. But in Acts chapter 20, in Troas, he was teaching door to door. Uh, So there were more than one way to skin a cat as far as Paul was concerned. He could preach to the masses, but he could knock on your door and preach to you individually uh, as well. And so two good things that any pastor must do is to serve well and to teach truth. And Paul uh, demonstrated both of these things in his ministry. Now, he had planned on leaving them to go to Jerusalem, and he knew that trouble awaited them. Uh, So he's going to tell them about the trouble that he's about to face in the future. So let's look at his future ministry. He faithfully pastored while he was with them, but then he also had a mission to accomplish, and he fearlessly pursued that mission. He pastored them when he was with them, but he also had to prepare them for his absence. So Paul was safe there in Miletus. Uh, When we look at that city, uh, there's no particular danger that uh, that he's facing uh, at the moment. And Uh, He certainly could have counted his blessings and he could have said, you know, I'm pretty safe here. I'm pretty comfortable here. Uh, I'm just going to go find uh, some quiet place to retire. Uh, But that would have been disobedient to God's call on his life. And it would have been disobedient uh, to Jesus. And it would have gone against everything that Paul stood for. Uh, Paul was a man of passion. Paul was a man of action. Uh, When he was a Jew, he was the most passionate Jew that there ever was. And when he became a Christian, he was the most passionate Christian there ever was. So he wasn't going uh, to just rest on his laurels and say, uh, you know, I'm good. I'm going to stay safe for now. Uh, He would continue to Jerusalem, as verse 22 says, bound by the Spirit. When we see the word bound in the New Testament, it often means like a physical tying up, a physical restraining uh, of someone. Uh, and, and that it means to be unable to uh, exercise freedom. But Paul wasn't physically bound here. He was bound in the sense of being obligated to the Holy Spirit to do the work that the Holy Spirit had given him and to obey uh, Jesus because he was a follower of Jesus. So the, the Spirit instructed him, you must go to Jerusalem. But Paul didn't know exactly what would happen to him there except that bonds and afflictions awaited him. Now, how scary is that to, to know that you're going someplace, you know that trouble is waiting, you don't know exactly what that trouble is, and you have to make a decision about whether you're going to go and do this. He could have disobeyed the Spirit and tried to go somewhere safe, but he probably remembered that Jonah tried that, right? And what happened to Jonah? Jonah ended up in the belly of a fish for three days until he repented and decided that he would do what God called him to do. Uh, So maybe Paul thought, well, I'd rather end up in Jerusalem and face whatever God has for me there than end up in the belly of a fish. Uh, But Paul repeatedly called himself a bondservant of the Lord. So really, uh, it should be no surprise to us that that Paul was obedient to the Holy Spirit, went to Jerusalem uh, as he was called to do. For him, the decision was really uh, about 
his priorities. Uh, he had to decide what was more important to him. Did, did he value uh, his own life or did he value obedience to his God-given mission? And we see the answer in verse 24. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may continue the work that Jesus had given him to do, testifying of the gospel of the grace of God. And that was Paul's message. He preached it wherever he went. And the gospel of the grace of God is the good news that God gave his only son, Jesus, who died for our sins to pay the penalty that we could never pay because of our sin. And he gave us a way to escape uh, that penalty. He sent Jesus in the form of a man, uh, sinless, uh, to live that perfect life that we could never live, to die on a cross and pay the penalty that we owe. And then God raised Jesus from the dead to show that he accepted Jesus's sacrifice. And any one of us who accepts Jesus's sacrifice on our behalf has Jesus's perfect sinless life applied to our sinful account and our sins are wiped away. The debt is paid and God sees the sinner as holy and righteous and clean uh, like Jesus. And we ride Jesus's coattails into heaven and it's the best deal we'll ever get. And so that's what Paul was saying to sinners and people were believing left and right. And many of these Ephesian elders had believed that message. In fact, all of them did. And that's why Paul was teaching them about discipleship now, uh, what it means to be a follower of Christ, a true follower of, of Christ follows Jesus no matter what, no matter where, uh, and no matter the consequences. Uh, Charles Stanley often says, uh, trust God and leave all the consequences to him. And, and that is that's a deeply profound statement. Uh, we can be easily tempted to run from what God calls us to do like Jonah did. It's really hard to obey God like Paul did, rushing into circumstances when we don't know what we're going to face uh, and what afflictions and trials await us when we do obey. So Paul was a model of what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. And he taught them how to pastor through service and through teaching of sound doctrine. And in verses 25 to 27, uh, he reminds them that he is innocent of their blood. If they decided not to believe, well, that was on them because Paul never shrunk from declaring to them the whole purpose of God. The NIV says the whole will of God. Now, does that sound ambitious to you that a man could talk to you about the whole will or the whole purpose of God? Well, if it does, remember... Uh, that Paul uh, specifically uh, talked about how he was instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Galatians chapter 1, he said, I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And since Paul learned directly from Jesus Christ and was not taught by man, who would be better equipped to tell anybody about the whole will or whole purpose of God uh, than Paul. Now, certainly it must have been amazing to learn under Jesus, but once Jesus was off the scene, uh, learning from Paul was the second best thing, and that was a really great thing. Paul taught them that being a disciple would not always be comfortable uh, for them. Sometimes a disciple is required to go where he doesn't want to go and confront people he doesn't want to confront, preach to people he doesn't want to preach to necessarily, and suffer as a result. And Paul would do that in Jerusalem, and he would suffer. 
But the Ephesian elders were going to face trouble of their own. And Paul wanted to warn them about that. And notice that this is the last thing that he's going to say to them. Uh, So this is the most important thing to them. Uh, So we're going to look at the present now. And this is the passing of the torch from Paul uh, to these Ephesian elders. Well, why is it important that Paul remind these elders of his past ministry and all that he had done? And why is it important that Paul tells them about his future mission and where he's going and what he's going to suffer there? Well, it's because he wanted these Ephesian elders to imitate him. Uh, Paul was passing the torch of church leadership to them, and now they were going to be responsible for this church. And he had his heart set on going to Jerusalem. He wasn't going to be there anymore to help them care uh, for this flock. He was going to Jerusalem. When you think about it, that's why we make a last will and testament, right? When we're gone, we want people to be instructed as what, how to handle our affairs uh, when we're gone. And Paul was doing that with these Ephesian elders, even as, as even now the storm clouds were starting to form uh, over Ephesus. And so uh, with these elders in charge, uh, Paul wanted them to know, uh, you have a duty to do. I'm giving you the baton of leadership and you now have to execute it. And so he's going to warn them about all these different ways that a church can face attacks. A church can be attacked uh, by, our, by our own selves because we don't safeguard our own hearts. A church can be attacked from the outside, from people who come in and cause damage. But a church can also be attacked from the inside, from within our own number. We can suffer trouble uh, in our church. And so Paul wanted them to understand that they needed to trust God and follow him into this storm that was gathering in Ephesus. And so Paul's first charge to them was that they guard themselves. And we cannot minister effectively to people if we have not guarded our own hearts, if our own relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ has not been built up and protected, uh, and, and our hearts are not right with God. And so it's so important that we spend time in the Word of God, that we spend time uh, in prayer so that nothing interferes with our relationship. And, and spending time in the Word and spending time in prayer are safeguards against us drifting into sin. Uh, and it's a slippery slope. This happens slowly. Uh, we stop reading the Bible. We stop praying because maybe we think we're too busy or else maybe we prefer to uh, watch a movie or spend time on Facebook or Twitter or, or binge watch shows on Netflix or whatever it is that we do uh, that we spend our time. Uh, but then we become influenced by the world, uh, which is opposed to God, and we start behaving like unbelievers. And before too long, uh, not overnight, but before too long, we slowly drift into this pattern of sin. And and then we become prisoners of sin. And we have to be vigilant to maintain our own spiritual health because the world's values are different than God's values. And if we chase what the world thinks is valuable, we are going to become opposed to the things that God thinks are valuable. And we'll become hostile or uh, indifferent to God, and we will become uh, ineffective or apathetic in ministry. So we have to be sure first that we guard ourselves. And that was Paul's first charge to these Ephesian elders. They have to take care of their own spiritual health. But secondly, they had to be on guard against dangers from the outside. Uh, Verse 28 and 29, guard the flock from the forces outside. Paul said, that the Holy Spirit appointed them as overseers of the, of the flock. And 
Uh, in the New Testament, the word for elder or overseer or bishop are all different words, but Paul uses them all interchangeably. Uh, it's the same office in the New Testament. Uh, and the purpose of elders or overseers is to shepherd the flock, shepherd the congregation, the church of God. And the image is of a shepherd uh, protecting his flock from wolves and other dangers that might come. And we, of course, at Grace Redeemer, believe that the office of elder continues in the church even today. And so our elder board considers caring for this flock uh, as one of its primary responsibilities. And we're doing our best to ensure that this congregation does not, uh, is not subject to danger uh, from outside threats, just like what Paul warned about. And uh, continuing the shepherd image, Paul said that, that these savage wolves would come in among them, not sparing the flock. Well, a wolf is an outsider to the sheep pen. It has only one thing on its mind. It wants to get into the sheep pen and grab a sheep and tear it apart and eat it. That's what it wants to do. And so uh, this is a very graphic image that Paul uh, gives to, this, to these elders to describe what would happen to the church at Ephesus if these elders failed to fulfill their duty to safeguard the flock from outside trouble. And probably what Paul had in mind was false teaching. False teaching was rampant in Paul's day. He was uh, constantly coming up against people who taught that uh, you had to keep the law to, to, to be saved. You had to be circumcised to be saved. And that's why uh, Paul wrote in Romans 4, talking about Abraham, that Abraham was saved before his circumcision, showing that circumcision doesn't save. And he argued in Galatians chapter 2 to stay away from these Judaizers who argue that you have to keep the law and you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Uh, that's not what the gospel message is. We don't do those things as a means of salvation. Uh, that's false doctrine. And Paul was preaching against this false doctrine because false doctrine kills the church and it robs the church of its message of grace. A grace means that we don't do anything to obtain our salvation. The work has already been done for us by Jesus. And when false teachers come in and teach that you have to keep the law and be circumcised in order to be saved, uh, then the cross is robbed of its power, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because if people have to work to earn their salvation, uh, then it's no longer by grace. And that's what Christianity is all about. It's salvation by grace. Every other religion in the world today teaches that you have to do, that you have to work, that you have to earn your salvation, and you have to continue to work to keep that salvation. But Christianity is the only religion that teaches that our works are worthless as to salvation. We're supposed to do good works, but our good works will never get us saved. Only reliance on Jesus's works on our behalf will save us. So they had to be aware of that kind of false teaching, and Paul was warning them about that. But today, we have to be alert for a lot more than just false teaching. Today, the world is openly hostile to Christianity and the church, and it's not going to get any better. Uh, the church used to be respected. Then it was tolerated. Now it's openly mocked, and by many, it's hated. And our temptation can be to water down the gospel in the face of this hatred and persecution uh, that we might face, uh, to be more accommodating so that maybe people will, uh, the persecutors will go find somebody else to persecute and they'll leave us alone. Uh, but we cannot do that. Uh, the biggest danger uh, to the church today, in my opinion, is the watering down of the gospel. And it's been happening in mainline denominations for years. Uh, you all know that. False teaching has slipped into the church 
and all sorts of belief and behavior uh, is now celebrated in the name of diversity and tolerance and inclusion. And we just can't allow that to happen at Grace Redeemer. The gospel is true. We have to preach it. Come what may, whatever persecution comes, uh, we have to tell people that that's the only way to get to heaven. And uh, we have to keep speaking the truth, even in the face of persecution, or else Paul's warning will have come true. The savage wolves will have come in and have destroyed the flock. So we have to guard against dangers from the outside. But Paul's third charge was to guard against dangers from the inside, from their own number. Verse 30, from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Now that is scary, right? Paul was warning that against people who claim to be believers, who claim to be part of the congregation, but who only want to divide the church and draw people away to them, to themselves. And so, Many of you have experienced church splits in your life, uh, and you know that the pain that is caused when people come into your congregation and tear the congregation up from within. What has happened? Someone has come in, and they've started to sow the seeds of discord, and people in the church have started to believe these things, and uh, whatever has been caused, whatever seeds of discord have been sown, uh, start to grow like gangrene until the congregation uh, is destroyed. And this can happen when people in the church are seeking their own glory or seeking to teach false doctrine. So we have to guard our own hearts to be sure that, that that never becomes true of us, that we're never one of those people who Paul says, from among your own selves, let that never be you and let that never be me. Uh, but we have to also be on guard if we ever see anything like that happening in our church. We have to catch that early and we have to root out that evil before it tears us apart. The church is called the bride of Christ. Jesus loves his church. He put us in charge of it so that we would protect it and guard it. Uh, and he means for us to do it. And so I'm grateful for uh, the service of our elders, Carl and Jim and John and Larry and Terry and others who have gone before, who have protected this flock and safeguarded it from these kinds of dangers uh, that Paul was talking about. Uh, Paul said at the end of verse 31 that he was preaching this message to them night and day for a period of three years. He did not cease to admonish them uh, with this message. So think about this. Uh, Paul was just with them for three years, teaching that message for three years. Then he leaves to go to Troas and to Macedonia and to Corinth and back around again to Miletus. He's now 30 miles south of Ephesus, and he sends a messenger to Ephesus to bring these elders back, walking 30 miles in each direction to give him this same message again that he had been preaching to them for three years do you think that Paul thought that this was a real threat, a real danger, and that it was something that really needed to be guarded against? It certainly was. And so Paul wanted them uh, to be warned uh, about this thing. And, and so that's why uh, I'm preaching this message to you today, is that we have to be vigilant ourselves to be sure that we are teaching the same message. And, and the things that happened, or the things that Paul was warning against these Ephesians against, that happened a generation later. Uh, there was trouble in that church in Ephesus a generation later. And so we have to be careful in our own church so that we don't have the same thing happen to us a generation later uh, as, as, uh, as time passes amongst us. And the next generation rises up in this church. We have to teach them well. 
So we have to be careful of danger within ourselves, within our own congregation, and from people on the outside as well. And that was the message. And then Paul finished uh, this message with uh, an exhortation. Did I miss that? Oh, yeah. He, I forgot to say this, uh, telling you about the, um, the, the letter to, that Jesus wrote to Ephesus in Revelation 2. This is the evidence that, that the church did, in fact, uh, suffer at Ephesus from these very things that Paul was warning about. He said, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And so that's written 30 years after this book of Acts was written. And we see the evidence that, that Ephesus did suffer uh, some, uh, some hardship and some failure to, to uh, maintain the gospel message. And we see that when we read uh, Colossians and Ephesians as well. So we just need to guard against that very real danger. And so Paul finishes this speech with uh, this benediction. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those, all those who are sanctified. And that's a wonderful benediction that he charges them with before he goes. And then uh, one more time, he gives them final exhortations. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul, again, exhorting them, admonishing them, imitate me because I imitate Jesus. So be like me, do what I do. And then after that, they knelt down and prayed and they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to his ship. And that ship was going to take him right to Caesarea. And from there, Paul was going to walk into Jerusalem, right into the fire. And we'll look at that over the next two weeks. But for now, let's think about a couple of things that we can learn from this passage. And the first thing is this. While we are where God has us, we serve each other well. You know, Paul is often considered the greatest theologian the church has ever had, and certainly he was. Uh, but we often forget that Paul was a, a, a pastor, a minister. He loved his people with a real deep love, and he cared for his churches. Whenever he founded them, he grieved for them and was concerned for them. And when he was with his people, he was really with his people, loving them, serving them, teaching them. And in the past, uh, with humility and with trials and with tears, uh, he gave his all to them. And Paul could have spent his time despairing and worrying about the things that were going to befall him when he went to Jerusalem. But that's not what he did. He spent his time preparing them for what they needed to do uh, when there was going to be a future without him. And he specifically made provision for this church by reminding the elders how to teach and how to serve. And this should be our model as well. While we are where God has us, we serve each other well. And secondly, when God calls us to go, we go. Come what may, we obey. <clears throat> This has to do with our response to pressure and persecution and afflictions. Uh, we may not be called to go around the world, 
but we may. Uh, we don't know what we're going to be called to, and, but we can face a persecution and we can face pressure and trials anywhere, anytime. And what is going to be our response to persecution when it comes on the church? Uh, when Paul was called to go, he went. What are we going to do when we face our own personal Jerusalem? Right now, we're probably not likely to be attacked physically for our beliefs, uh, but that certainly could change. Uh, who could have imagined 50 or 60 years ago that we would be, as Christians, a shrinking minority, uh, scorned and increasingly hated by the culture? And, and if our country continues on its current path, there's no telling what could happen to us 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now as our culture becomes increasingly hostile to Christianity. Uh, how we as Christians relate uh, to a changing culture that's increasingly hostile to our church is going to be one of the very biggest issues in Christianity over the next few decades. Uh, and so we have to be prepared for that. But it's, it's not enough that we ourselves are prepared. Uh, most of us are going to be with the Lord in 30 years, right? So we need to train up the next generation who has to be prepared to stand firm uh, against uh, the, the persecution they're going to face. We have to teach them doctrinal truth. We have to teach them uh, what service looks like. And we have to be teaching them to be prepared to suffer for their faith. You know, as, as parents and grandparents, we try so hard to protect our children, to protect our grandchildren from everything that's in the world. But that's not realistic. We have to eventually let them go. And eventually they're going to face the persecution and the pressure that comes from the world. And so uh, it's good to try to protect them, but we also have to prepare them because this persecution is coming. We can't protect them from everything. We have to prepare them for the battles that are coming their way in the next generation. When we said goodbye to Allie uh, last year, we were going to see her again in a month. And, uh, you know, she's going to be pretty safe in a college environment in Waco. We really weren't worried about her safety. We were just going to miss her. Uh, Paul was never going to see these Ephesian elders again, and he knew the trouble uh, that was coming against them. And that's why he preached this message so strongly. Uh, in Allison's case, uh, she has decided now that she wants to go on a mission trip over spring break with her church in Waco to Tijuana. I said, did they have nothing available in Yemen or Iran? Did you have to choose Tijuana? I mean, unbelievable that this is what she wants to do. But what is she doing? She's, she's learning and she's becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it's exactly what we have prepared her to do and exactly what we have hoped that she would do. And we now are we're learning to become the parents of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it's hard to let your, let your kid go and let them be followers because we know that life can be dangerous and ministry can be dangerous. Uh, but she's doing just what we trained her to do. And she's doing just uh, what we want her to do. If we're being honest, we just are a little nervous, of course. And, and so uh, she's following the model that Paul was giving to these Ephesian elders. You go into that storm and you face it uh, with everything that I've trained you to do. Uh, teach well, serve well. We don't shrink away from what's hard. Uh, we rush into the storm and we trust Jesus every step of the way with the mission that he's given us to do. Amen? Lord God, we thank you for this message. We thank you for Paul's courage. We thank you for his ministry of service and his ministry of teaching. And Lord, he shows us every step of the way uh, what it looks like to be a disciple. And he teaches us how to disciple others, Lord, so that they can know uh, the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ and 
also how to stand up to the pressure that the world will bring their way, Lord. Lord, we pray that we have learned from uh, Paul's troubles, and there are more troubles to come for Paul for sure. But Lord, as we think about this message, we just pray that you would give us the courage to stand against this culture that is becoming increasingly hostile to us, Lord. May we have the courage to speak the truth, uh, even to a world that does not want to hear it, Lord, and help us to be able to face those consequences wherever and whatever they are, and knowing that this is your means for spreading the gospel throughout the world, Lord. Give us the courage to do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.